0: It's good to be here. It's good to see some of you. Some of you I've never met, which is always encouraging. Congratulations. You have a new favorite missionary now. (laughs) And uh, I do want to talk about the church today. The title is Your Relationship to the Church. Before we start, though, I just want to kind of update you. We are still traveling. We have about eight to ten more meetings left. Most missionaries would know exactly how many, but I just hope I have enough and don't really want to count them. So somewhere in there. Uh, several meetings in Texas, uh, one in New Mexico, and then a couple out on the East Coast. And other than that, baby's due March 13th in Fort Worth. I'll finally have a, uh, a daughter born in Texas. Amen. Been trying to convince Nikki for a while, but she's partial Missouri, so um, we uh, will be in in Fort Worth for most of March, and then also in April and May, we're planning to ship a container. Got it. Uh, it seems to be that God is providing a way for us to ship a container. You know it would be a lot more cost effective that way from here. Um, so if you notice the big trailer out there, it is not full of trash. It is my stuff. And we're putting that in a storage unit here. And then uh, and then, so maybe I've talked to Uncle Tommy, but I might need some help loading a container in April. And uh, if you don't volunteer, I'll, I'll ask you. So, um, Turn, if you would, to Ephesians. We're not actually going to be in Ephesians today. Um, we're, we're just going to use that by way of introduction in a moment. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians, and then most of the time we'll spend in 1 Corinthians. Your relationship with the church is what I want to talk about. And um, just a couple of misconceptions, maybe, that you might have to clear up uh, before we get started. Is that a missionary, when they come, should preach about evangelism, should preach about foreign missions. And you know that that's not the case. You have a former missionary as your pastor. You know uh, uh, that missionaries, obviously can preach on other things, and should, because uh, we don't just preach on foreign missions on the field all the time. So that's that. while that is what we do here, it is our job to raise awareness and give opportunities for people. As we are traveling, I don't look at it as a fundraising opportunity, I look at it as raising awareness for the need for foreign missions, and uh, maybe being a fresh voice in the church for foreign missions and the need for it. Uh, I am not a motivational speaker, right? If you need motivation, that's your problem. Um, and seriously though <laughs> We uh, You know Motivation is not Uncle Tommy, Uncle Pastor Tommy's job It's not my job The word of God and, and the desire of God And our desire to glorify God Is what should motivate us Any other motivation is wrong And so uh, I, I'm, I'm not here to motivate you uh, But one thing that missionaries Must know about One thing that I'm constantly Trying to grow in Is the church If I'm called As a pastor And and you ordained me, so uh, it's your fault too. But if I'm called as a pastor, I must know about the church. I must know the prescription for the church, the precedence for the church, what God demands of the church, because because as a part of you, I will be uh, starting churches. God will use me to start churches, is, is our prayer. So I must know about that. Second misconception is, is um, you know, the old uh, the old kids thing, I can't do it, but here's the church, here's the steeple, open Whatever. Open the doors and see all the people. That's the way it ends up, right? Really what it should be is, here's a building, here's a steeple, open the doors and see the church. What I want us to to make sure we understand today is that when I say the word church, I am in no way referring to the building. In fact, I've said it before, but I would rather church signs say, rather than just the name of the church, I would say, uh, First Baptist Church meets here, right? Because you are First Baptist Church. If If you're a part of the body, if you are saved and a member of this church then you are First Baptist Church. So before we can discuss your relationship to the church, you must understand the background and the purpose of the church. And this is what I want to use to introduce uh, this idea to this, this morning. One thing out of Revelations, if you think the church isn't important, I had a friend once who who thought the church wasn't, in, uh, wasn't necessary. He said, I can have church here in my house. And uh, now he's a pastor. So, oh the irony. But... All we have to do is, is, is look at the New Testament. You don't even have to read it. Just look at it and see the letters written to the churches. So I can't possibly go through all of this today. But one thing I would like to say is in Revelation, when, when, in Revelation chapter 3, when he's just talking to the seven churches, it says that in his right hand were the seven stars, which were the messengers, and uh, the seven churches as well. In in, in in Jewish culture in, in, in that picture there it's very metaphorical, but speaking to the the in the right hand of Christ, the power in his 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 dominant hand are the churches and their messengers. So if you believe that God does not want the church, did not design the church, and is not going to work through the church, then you do not understand the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament uh, shows us that the primary tool through which Christ is accomplishing His plan is through the local New Testament church. How does God want to be glorified? He wants to be glorified in the church. That is how He's glorified. It's very important that we understand that. In Ephesians chapter uh, 5, there's a very familiar passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, are are very much a marriage passage passage. But it's interesting because for you to understand marriage, what Paul does is he brings up the church. You can't understand marriage if you don't understand the church. So he goes through this and he says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord's. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Husbands. Love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that it would be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. So it's so crucial that you understand the church and your relationship to the church. Very crucial. In fact, you can't understand really anything unless you understand. And here, it's it's interesting that this passage is so much used for marriage when really a primary doctrine here is the church. That's what you must understand first. And the first thing it says, and we're not going to go through all of this, but the purpose of the church is to glorify God and uplift and glorify Christ. The first thing we see there, and and again we're not going to go through it, but it says that the church is subject to Christ. And the church should act like it. The church should show that Christ is its head, that it is subject to Christ. In verse 29 it says that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. What that means is that Christ Himself nourishes or trains His church. So you not stay the way you are. The church should be trained by Christ. It's nourished. It's, it's, it's molded and, and it functions as Christ demands that it functions. So your leader, the head, you are subject to Jesus Christ. And He nourishes you. His job is to train you through the Word of God instructing you what you are to do. And it says later, sanctifying by His Word. So the Word of God, and this is your prescription, and this is your precedence, and this is what you do... And it's Christ leading you, and then it says it also that He cherishes it, or He, it really what it means is He broods over it. It's really a wonderful picture of a, of a groom and his new bride. And, and it's constant battle for me is you know, I mean I've been married almost eight years now to remember to do those things that I did when we were first married that I didn't have to work for, but now as men we grow comfortable, right? But, but that's not the picture. The picture is Christ brooding over the church and caring for it and loving it. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture. And in verse 30 says that we are His body. We are representatives of Him. We function for Him. He instructs us and everything we do is for Him. We are His flesh, His very bones. So this is really a good example of the purpose and the background of the church. And there are two options for the church today. It's similar to the purpose of Israel in the Old Testament. People were to look at Israel and they were to say, there is a God in Israel. When people saw Israel, when they saw their victories, when they saw things and how, how, how they were benefited and how God loved them and, and, and uplifted them, what they were to say, other nations all around, they weren't to say, man, we wish we had that. They were to say, there is a God in Israel, let's go worship that God. Psalm 148 says that God strengthens the horn of His people, referring to Israel, that as they were obeying Him and as they were uh, following Him, that He would strengthen their power and their prosperity. Really what it means is that He elevated so that they could have even more influence over the world around them. Similarly the church, the purpose is to show God to the world. When we function as the church, that is what we do. And we'll look at it later, but 1 Thessalonians 1 shows us that. John 17 shows us that, that our purpose is as Christ loves us and as we function as He is our head, and as we function in His body, we are showing the world the glory and the majesty of God in Jesus Christ. Please do not diminish the church. It is so important. So the first option is follow that purpose to show the world that there is a God, that that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, that He is the only hope. But the other option is to disobey and not function as the church. And I believe what it shows in Revelation, that if we do that, God will remove our candlestick. What does that mean? You will have no use. You will have no light. You will have no witness in the world around you. He will use another to accomplish His work. He will raise up another body that will function with Him as the head and function as His body and His flesh. So your relationship to the church is simple. You are the church. What's the relationship to the church? Well, that's you. You are the church. And you must function as the church. Maybe a more descriptive way to say this is that you are the body of Christ. And you should function as the body of Christ. So don't be a dummy. It's not my words. It's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there. First Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, introduces his idea this way. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. So like I said, I didn't say it. Paul did. Don't be a dummy. Here are some steps that we must take to function as the body of Christ, to glorify Christ to the utmost of our ability and potential. The first is to remember who we are. Remember who you are. Verse 12 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I would not have you be ignorant. What he's going to talk to them about is their relationship to the church, those that are around them, how they are to function as the church. Before he does this, this is what he says. He says in verse 2, Now you know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus a curse and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So the first thing he says is he reminds the Corinthian church that you were Gentiles carried away by dumb idols. So the first thing you must remember in who you are is who you were before you met Jesus. Some of you have been saved for a while and you need to go back and reflect on who you were before you met Christ. And if you say, oh, it wasn't that bad, then you have not grown much. And you have not read the Word of God. He says you were Gentiles, you were far off, apparently given the idea that they were far from salvation. They had no pedigree. They had no religious training or upbringing. Anything close to Christianity. The context of who he's talking to here, they were idolaters. They were pagans. It says, have you, do you forget who you were? You were Gentiles carried off by dumb idols. And we know that because it seems so foolish to us now, but that was us before. According to the misunderstanding of many, uh, they were only offered, even as Gentiles, they were only offered uh, what I call an outer courtyard version of true religion, right? Even in the temple, there was, there was this setup uh, uh, of, of the court of the Gentiles and then the intercourse and the court of the men. And so, they, yes, they were allowed to come and worship, but it was kind of on the outside. And it even bled into the New Testament to where the, when the gospel went out, there were those in Acts in the church that said, well, they're still Gentiles, and really, it's a picture of us. We were far from God. We, we had no pedigree. We had no uh, no right to anything. Neither did they. Paul reminds them who they are. He says, you were carried away by dumb idols. And don't paint this as a prettier picture than what it actually is. It's a simple statement that you were carried away by idols. But in order to understand, you have to know the culture of the day, what that meant. There were chants and there were ceremonies that did absolutely nothing but consume their lives. There was drunkenness in their worship, and, and they would go to the temples and they would just it would be a drunken, sloppy mess. There were sexual orgies, there were prostitutes at these temples that they would go and and, and fornicate with and, and commit adultery and think that somehow they were worshiping some idol. It's not a pretty picture, it's horrible. It's horrific. They were literally being led satanically to their doom. It's the example of Baal and Elisha, when there they are, 400 prophets of Baal, and they're, they're, they're literally cutting themselves and falling and, 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 and yelling and screaming and chanting to a God who has no ears. He's just a stinking rock. And Elisha. And his God, who consumes wood, wet wood, evaporates water out of flames from the sky with one prayer. Equally, you, Christian, don't excuse or paint a prettier picture of yourself. Do not think higher of yourself than you are. You are carried away by the lust of your flesh and your own wicked deeds. Some of us are distracted with that now, that before we lived for nothing but self-pleasure, self-fulfillment, Self pleasing. We were slaves. We were owned by Satan, being led to our doom with nothing to turn to, no power of our own to stop. Why is this important? Why would Paul start with this? Because so many issues in the church and the function of the church could be solved by just remembering who you are and who you were before you met Jesus Christ. Paul says there was miraculous intervention by the Spirit of God. So he tells them who they were, and then he says verse 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. The first thing he does is he calls out some, some incorrect doctrine that was heretical doctrine that was in this church, saying that you should not even entertain, they shouldn't even be with you. There were people that were saying that Jesus wasn't God. And he said, No man Speaking by the Spirit of God would ever say that Jesus is a curse, that He is not God, that He is not God in the flesh, God Himself, the very Creator, omnipotent God. So Paul calls that out and says no one, but really an implication of this, and then he says it, that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, you would have never come to Jesus. You would have continued to ignore Him as you did the rest of your life before. But there was miraculous intervention by the Spirit of God. You could not know Jesus or understand Him or comprehend His Word. It says we were blinded by our sin and our sinfulness. Not not to put us in a, just a state of depression that we would remember that we were slaves and how bad we were. The point is, is that if we remember who we were, then we understand who we are and we can have and live with joy and purpose and fulfillment in doing what God has called us to do. Because we know all that Christ has done for us. We know the importance of the church and the Spirit of God who has enlightened us and drawn us to Him so that we can be saved, so that we can place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be a new man and a new creation, living and together and functioning as a new body, which is the body of Christ. So Paul condemns those that claim to be speaking truth by denying crucial doctrine. And in so he, he, he establishes the true doctrine that the Spirit of God is the one who placed us here. The one who enabled us to believe in Jesus. And as believers, they and us have been given the Holy Spirit of God. It is only through His power that we were saved. And it is only through His power that we are sanctified by the washing of His Word, as Ephesians says. And it is only through His indwelling and our yielding to Him that we can grow and function as the body of Christ. So what is the first thing? The first step is we remember who we are. Part of that is remembering who we were and where God, what God has done for us. Who we are now. Second of all, recognize what you have been given. Along with salvation, the Holy Spirit of God has imparted spiritual gifts to all who believe, all who proclaim and follow Jesus as Lord. So, by the same power which He drew you to salvation, He has also bestowed on you spiritual gifts. So, Paul says, He says, verse 4 Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. Verse six and there are diversity of operations with the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit a word of wisdom, another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment, discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues and another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that in one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So the emphasis here is first that the spirit has done all of this. He says that first of all, we have all been given unity in the spirit. You see, we're all unified, and I know that people say we should strive for unity, and I think the better way to say it is we should act like we have unity because we already have unity. We all share the same spirit. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter what country you came from. We have the same Spirit. Therefore, we are all one. He says there is unity in the Spirit. Various people, various backgrounds, various cultures, various gifts of the Spirit. We all share the same Spirit. And by Him and through Him worship the same God. Secondly, the emphasis that we've all been given... Uh, uh, by the Spirit, for the benefit of the body. The reason you have been given, the gifts you have been given, the reason you are here is to benefit the body. All who practice and receive the ministry of the body profit from it. So when you function as the church, when you act like the church, you profit from it yourself. In Ephesians he says, when the husband loves his wife, he's loving himself, right? Right? I mean, we don't need to go into all that. We understand what that means. Husband, love your wife. I guarantee you, it'll be better for you. Young people, you'll get it later. When you properly function and live in the church, you benefit the church. And when you function and live as a church, you benefit the world who receive your your testimony and your witness. And finally, the emphasis is on the Spirit giving and being sovereign over the distribution of the gifts. He chooses. They are not meant to be sought. The gifts are never meant to be sought. They are meant to be discovered. They are His to give and yours to discover. So when you got saved, the Spirit gave you gifts to function in this body and uplift the name of Jesus Christ in this local church, and they are yours to discover. Some of you aren't even trying to discover them. And to profit the body to practice unity. So, in summary, everything you've been given first and foremost is the unity and the oneness you have with God through your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1-6, through 6, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which with your call with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says there's one body... One Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Do you not understand that you are all one? We are all unified. There is one God, one Spirit. He is in all and over all. So unity first, and then everything else you've been given is to support that, because that is what most glorifies God. Finally, none can question their gift or role because God has given it to you. So you can't say, well, I'm good at administration, but I don't want to do administration. I want to be the guy up there preaching. Well, if you can't preach? (laughs) Right? Just kidding. A little bit. Not really. We see that the roles were laid out here by God, and we are called to fulfill that. And in order, it's exactly like marriage. The role of the husband, the role of the father, the role of the wife, the role of the mother, the role of the children, God established those roles. We don't get to decide. We need to understand more of what He wants and fulfill those. It's the same in the church. You don't get to decide. You need to figure out what the Spirit has already decided. So, now Paul emphasizes union and oneness, but he also shows uniqueness... And diversity in the church. Ephesians 4 7 regarding spiritual gifts, Paul also said, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Similarly, here, Paul speaks of the diversity of gifts. So so we first of all we remember who we are, we recognize what we've been given, that unity, and also the gifts that we've been given, and finally we understand our physiology. It's a big word, you didn't know I know big words, did you? Understand your physiology. Why do I say it that way? Well, my dad has told me for a long time, part of my discipleship growing up, the church is an organism, not an organization, right? An organism is living, an organization is a bank, right? Or or whatever else. So an organism is a living, breathing, functioning body. Physiology refers to the function of living organisms and their parts. When I say understand your physiology, what I'm referring to is you need to learn your own body. You need to discover its functions. The body of Christ is a living organism, a living, breathing organism, a body comprised of Christ as the head and us as the parts of the body. Verses 12 through 14 say this, for as the body is one and has many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body. You see all the times he says one. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one Spirit, for the body is not one member but many. In the last part, he says it's not one but many. We understand we look around us and we see different people. We look different. We act different. We like different things. We, our minds work differently. You see one part, one person, but many parts. So is the church. The church is one body comprised of many parts, and all functions work together for one purpose. It's really a very simple illustration. Nobody's claiming that this is incredibly profound, but we need to get back to it and understand that the church is the body. We are all different body parts. We function differently, but we all function for the benefit of the body with Christ as the head. So... No one separates their name's different parts of their body. I am a name for each one of my fingers, right? I am Jaren. I am made from many different parts. But I function as one body. That's why Paul used this. How does this happen? How is it that there can be so much diversity in the church and there should be and there is diversity in the church? How can this be that it all functions together? How can it be that it all came together? Well, Paul answers this in verse 13. By one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. What it's referring to is not some weird gifts of the Spirit. It's referring to at the moment of salvation, you were baptized into a body. Not in in the baptismal waters, but in the Spirit, He baptized you into the church. We see a bigger picture of the family of God, but a local representative as the church. So at salvation, you became a part of the body of Christ. Jesus drank the cup of wrath. He drank the cup of wrath and took the punishment of God so that you could be baptized, saved and baptized by the Spirit into the church. It is very serious. We take this too lightly sometimes. You all, all of us, by God's amazing, unimaginable grace, were given a drink of the same Spirit of God. So there's oneness of parts, but there's also a diversity of parts, is what verse 14 says. So we understand how our physiology, we understand that there are different parts, that they function differently. My liver functions differently than my pinky finger. They're different. But they're all one. So the last thing we must realize after understanding our physiology is accept and fulfill our role. You have to understand that you have a God-given purpose in the body of Christ. Verse 15-17 through says this, If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? For if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole uh, were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased Him. In the Corinthian church, there was a great desire for the showy gifts. They had a misunderstanding of what the gifts were to look like, and in those days, this was probably one of the very first churches, so there were some of the spiritual gifts, some of the sign gifts that we probably don't have today. We don't need to authenticate the message of Jesus Christ. We have the completed Word of God and we have each and every one of our lives demonstrating the power of God. To know that Jesus is real, that He is who He said He is, we don't have to authenticate that anymore. The way we authenticate that is by living out the church and functioning as the body. So while this does correct some of their spiritual gifts, we're not going to get into that. But in the Corinthian church, there was the desire for certain gifts. Which is why Paul had to write correction in uh, in chapter 14, verse 27. They were all trying to speak in tongues. They had an improper understanding of tongues, one. But two, they were all trying to do it. And so Paul corrects them. And he says, two or three at most in a service ever. And an interpreter. So if you really want to talk about the sign gifts and speaking in tongues, none of it even follows that pattern. Today, but I said we're not going to that. So equally, we have a tendency today to want the gifts that bring us praise. Do we not? How many of us like a pat on the back? It's not bad to pat somebody on the back, but that's not why I'm here. That's not why you're here. You see, when you function as the body, when you, the finger, do what you're supposed to do, you are helping the body and the body is also helping you. Tie a string around your finger and see how that feels. Cut off the finger and see what happens. Can the body survive? It can survive, but it's going to be impaired. So when you're not here and when you're not serving in the church and when you are selfish and you don't want to do what God has called you to do, the body suffers. When the body suffers, God is not glorified. The world around us does not see the love of Jesus Christ, does not understand the cross the way that God wants him to understand it when you don't function as you are supposed to. So when you are saying, well, church isn't that important, I don't feel like going today, or, or even more than that, when you say, I don't want to love and live in unity, I don't want to uplift my brother, I don't feel like, I don't even like that guy. When you say those things, you're hurting yourself and the body. But most importantly, you are not glorifying God. The body, when functioning properly, cannot do without its members. Verse 19 through 26, he says, And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now that there are mem- many members, but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. There's not one of you that can tell to somebody else, We don't need you here. In fact, you do need them here. If they are a believer in Jesus Christ, you need them here somebody's causing problems or falling into sin, and you say, eh, just let them go. No. We don't want to lose members of our body. And it's not his job to make sure that all of you stay. It's your job to fulfill your role and then to chase after one another and and love one another. When one falls or when the finger gets smashed, the rest come to help it, to bandage it. Don't smash it again. Our job is is to glorify God through sacrificial love with one another. No one in the church can say to another member, we don't need you. We need to operate as if we need one another. And God has designed it in such a way that certain gifts, while they seem unimportant, they may not seem as flashy or as desirable. He says here that they may actually be even more necessary. What he says is in verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which which seem to be more feeble are necessary. More feeble they seem to be weaker. Try getting punched in the arm or getting punched in the kidney. Which hurts more? In the liver, right? I don't mean to be irreverent, but but that's what he says. Is that that these seem to be weaker, but but try living without your liver. So so there are some things in those members of the body, verse 23, which seem to be less honorable upon these. We bestow still more abundant honor that our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. What he says is, uh, you know, I don't want my liver outside on my arm for everybody to see it. I'm glad that it's inside and covered by skin and, and protected by my ribs and everything else. I, I'm, I'm thankful for that because I need it. How else would I drink coffee all the time? So we need those things. And and, and some of those, while they are uncomely, they they have more abundant comeliness. It's just an interesting, beautiful picture of the way Paul is trying to help uh, the Corinthian church and us function as a church and understand what we are supposed to do. I can tell you this. I cannot function in Nicaragua without you. How can I go out and share the gospel how can I depend and know that there's a church that's behind me? If you are not functioning as a body, I'm a part of your body going out from you. And when others are down when one person hurts, we, we function in unity, we don't kick somebody that's down, we help them and restore them and bring them back. We are the body of Christ. I'm not getting into specific applications of you, this is your gift and you, this is your gift and you should be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. The point is that we understand the theology of the church and how important it is. You are the body of Christ. The steps that we must take is, first of all, Christian, individual, remember who you are. You were without. Now you are. You were outside of the church. You were outside of Jesus Christ. Now you are one with Jesus Christ. You are the church. Recognize what you've been given. You understand the grace of God that Jesus drank from the cup of wrath that should have been poured out on you. And not only did he do that, but he placed you in a place and gave you all of the tools, the gifts that you need to glorify God in the most, uh, the best way possible. And that you would say, oh, I'm not necessary or or, I don't want to do that. You can feel that way or you can think that way, but it's not true. Understand your physiology. We're one body. We're a diversity of people and functions. But we all work together and accept and fulfill your role. If God has given you the gift of encouragement or if God has given you uh, uh, the gift of administration, you need to accept that role. You need to fulfill that role. That doesn't mean you can leave everything else out. That doesn't mean you don't need to share the gospel. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I can't share the gospel. No. There may be one person that brings in more loss, but we all need to be sharing the gospel and functioning and and plugging the holes and doing the work of the church. Reflect Jesus Christ and bring glory to Him. Remember His role as our leader, as in Ephesians, desiring to lead us and care for us. Man, what a beautiful picture, the grace that we have in Jesus Christ and in His Spirit and Him desiring to lead us. And not only that, but the picture that our, that our Savior is literally brooding over us, cherishing us. He loves us. We are His prized possession. We are His bride. That is the entire picture of the New Testament. What does this look like? Well, this is the last thing we're going to read in first Thessalonians in chapter um, in, in verse 1 First Thessalonians 1 and verse 3 says Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica says remembering without ceasing your work of faith your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father knowing brethren beloved your election of God for our gospel came not unto you in word only but in power in the Holy Ghost, then in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. It says, From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we may not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Now you turn from to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come everything we read in Corinthians everything we read in Ephesians is once again example here in a church that had a work of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in God a labor of love for one another and a love for the lost world and making Christ known and the patience of hope undeniable unshakable hope That Jesus came once, he's coming again. And what happened? That naturally, as they function as the body, the word of the Lord spread out from them in every region so that the apostles didn't even need to go to some places because they already knew about Jesus. What a beautiful picture of what it looks like when a church functions as it should. You cannot glorify God without fulfilling your role in the church. And you definitely cannot reach the world of the gospel without fulfilling your role in the church. John seventeen twenty three. Jesus in his prayer said that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. He prayed for his church before it really existed. He prayed for you knowing that you would be here. He knew the gifts you would have. He knew the purpose that He had for you. And He prayed for us, saying that the world would know that that, that you love them as you have loved me, that God loves us as much as He loves Jesus Christ. If I could say to those maybe that hear and don't know Christ, you're not a part of the church. The love of God is not upon you, the wrath of God is. But the beauty is is that when you come to Jesus Christ, when you decide, I am a sinner, I cannot save myself, when you understand that, when you yield to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, and you fall on your face before Christ and beg for mercy, the beauty is, is that not only does He save your eternal soul, He places you in a church and He bestows upon you gifts so that you can glorify Him to the utmost of your ability. And that you have those around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are pushing you and prodding you and helping you to grow more in Christ. And that He has the Word of God which will sanctify you. Right now, unless you yield, it condemns you because it says Jesus will come and He will judge and you will be punished for all of eternity. But the hope, the good news is that Jesus died for you. And once you believe, He will sanctify you through that very same Word. Preparing you for when he comes back. What a beautiful picture. Church, let's be the church. Let's just not call ourselves a church. Let's act like it. Old, young, black, white, from the United States, from some other country, it doesn't matter. Accept your role in the church. Understand your purpose and function as a church. God, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank You for Your love. There's one here that doesn't know You, God. I pray that today it would yield to You. God, that that You, helping them to understand their sinfulness, helping them to understand that they are destitute without You. God, I know that there may be some here that feel that right now, that for the first time in their life, finally understand that they are lost without hope, that if they die tonight, they will go to be in hell for all of eternity. And that it's not your fault, but it's their own sinfulness that will send them there. And the fact that they rejected you. God, I'm not here to place fear in their hearts, but fear should be there. God, and that they would understand that that if they yield to you, if they fall at your feet and trust in you and only you for salvation, that you will save them. God, I pray they would understand today. God, there may be some part here of the body that, that have been rebellious, that have not been doing what they are called to do. God, I pray they would repent this morning. In private or before here at the altar, God, that they would pray and ask for forgiveness. And that they would start functioning as the body of Christ that you've called them to be. Thank you for cherishing us. God, we know that this message is because you love us and care for us and want to instruct us to glorify you more. May you be honored and glorified as we seek to obey you in all things. God, encourage us. Give us joy. Increase our faith. Help us to depend more on you. May pray. Amen.